Revelation 16, we'll pick up kind of where we left off last time. Try to get about halfway, uh, halfway through the chapter tonight if we can. I'm pretty sure that we can. So we'll start in verse number 1. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your way and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men, which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. Wow, that's nasty. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his, poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Thou art righteous, O Lord, who which art and wast and art to come, and, and shalt be, excuse me, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel pulled out, poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the time we had this morning in church. For the folks that were here, we pray for those that weren't here because they were sick, those who aren't here tonight because they're sick. Lord, I pray that you'd... Uh, please bless them and help them, help to get better quickly. I pray, Father, you'd uh, bless our time together tonight. Guide me and direct me as we go through this uh, passage of Scripture. I pray that you'd help me to teach these things faithfully, that they'd make sense, that I'd put it in such a way as not to confuse people, but to clarify and to help them understand the, the words of God and, and what's going to happen in the future and the power of God. And I pray also, Lord, that you'd help me to be able to make the practical application here at the close that would help your people. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're probably about halfway. Uh, at, well, I mean, we are minimally halfway through the tribulation period. But more than likely, when we come to the events taking place in chapter 16, we're probably in the last few months of the tribulation period before the second advent. And he says in verse 1, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. We talked about that the last time as we finished up chapter 15 about those vials of God's wrath. And I showed you last time, if you want to flip back there real quick to Revelation chapter 5, look at verse number 8. And when he had taken the book, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the four beasts, and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials, full of odors, look at it, which are the prayers of the saints. And so I showed you that there's a strong likelihood or a possibility that these vials in chapter 16 that are being poured out are the prayers of the saints that had gone up. Remember how we talked about vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And in the tribulation period, there's saints being murdered for their faith, and they're crying out to God because they don't understand how long, O oh Lord. And they're praying, and those prayers go up into the nostrils of God as, a, as an incense before the Lord. We did talk about how your prayers do matter, but God doesn't always respond to those prayers as quickly as you might want Him to. And the time is coming when God's had it, He's fed up. Not to mention, obviously, primarily, His wrath is being poured out on Him because of what they did to His Son. Uh, Jesus Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17, the Lord's Prayer. He's saying, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus Christ didn't want to go through what he went through, but he did. And all hell was unleashed on him. He said, the bulls of Bashan compassed me about. You think about that. I, I mean, I heard one preacher say it this way, and I thought it was an interesting thought. He said, no self-respecting devil anywhere in the universe would have been anywhere at that moment other than at the foot of the cross. I thought that was a pretty powerful saying. I don't know if I can say necessarily that, you know, that's the case, but I will say that sure made me think. I can't even imagine the amount of pressure that was on Jesus Christ as he's going to the cross. I mean, you think about the way the devil must have rallied the troops and poured it out on him in those last few minutes because this was their last chance to get him to try to commit a sin. 
If they could have got him to commit a sin, they could have stopped what was going on. So I, I think that Jesus Christ was in such a, a state, such a predicament there that had nothing to do with the nails and the whip and the crown of thorns and the spear. I think the pressure that was on him was beyond anything you could possibly even imagine. And he went through all that after he did nothing wrong. And God Almighty allowed it to happen. They slaughtered him. And they, 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 they pierced him. And they mocked him. And they humiliated him. And they ripped out his beard. And God sat back and did nothing. God let it happen. Now throughout the church age, for centuries, Christians have been dying. I know we're Americans and we got it really good, you know. But that doesn't mean that people around this world aren't to this day, right now, suffering persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, as an American, what persecution do you suffer? Did your family stop talking to you? That's pretty bad, ain't it? I mean, that's pretty bad if you lost family over Jesus Christ. That's painful. I'm not mocking and belittling that. That's a cross to carry. That's a burden. But, but is that, that's about as bad as it gets, right? I mean, I don't know of anybody in the room anyways that got fired because of their faith. That could happen. What kind of persecution do we really suffer? Not much. But you got brothers and sisters in Christ right now in China and in the Middle East and in Africa and other places like that that suffer tremendously because of their faith in Jesus Christ, physically, even death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what the Lord does? Now you think about that for a minute. That's his bride. Those are his kids. Being martyred, being slaughtered, being fed to lions, being put in prison. Children being killed. Women with, with, with babies in their wombs, babies ripped out of their wombs. Why? Because their faith in Jesus Christ. That's been happening throughout the church age. And the Lord does what seems to us like he does nothing about it. And people get confused. And you go on into the tribulation period and there's people suffering death. Their head's getting cut off because they won't take the mark. And they're saying, how long, O oh Lord? And all those, all those prayers, primarily with Jesus Christ, I would think. But then down through the centuries, all that stuff going up before God. You know what's happening? God's getting his bucket full. God's getting absolutely fed up with it all. Now, I think we're in an interesting time right now because you see what's going on in Israel and you see the fact that they ain't going to stop and there's a huge movement to try to say that they're committing war crimes and defending their own people against absolute, unbelievably mind-boggling insanity. Savages that went after women and children. Savages, folks. The news media is not telling you in detail the atrocious acts of, of criminal, wicked, pedophilic, ungodly debauchery that those men perpetrated under the blessing of their religious leaders. Now you tell me that, oh, I became a Muslim because it made sense. Yeah, you ain't, yeah, that ain't why you became a Muslim, boy. You became a Muslim because you like the fact that that, that that religion allows you to have more than one woman. Come on, I'm preaching now. I know some that, I know some that are, you know, they're, they're Americanized and they're well-to-do and they're, they're uh, tolerant of other people that'll sit and say, well, we Muslims can have more than one wife. Well, they have one wife. Well, I, w I wonder why you became a Muslim there. Right? You're not going to tell me that religion makes sense to you. I don't make any sense at all. And now you got an entire bunch of people all around this world and even in this supposedly civilized America that's trying to turn them into the bad guys. God said when he brought her back, she wasn't going to get kicked out again. He's bringing her back. And he said the whole world is going to turn on her and get to a point where they just about wipe her off the map. And that's in process of happening. It'll probably happen in your lifetime. And he said, I'll bless them that bless you and I'll curse them that curse thee. And so guess what will happen to America if America turns on Israel? He said, well, she's backslidden. I understand she's backslidden. You got to realize this in rightly dividing, which we'll get into as we go through Romans. But God made promises to Abraham before Abraham obeyed. God made promises to him about his seed before he even went through and did everything he was supposed to do. Those promises God made, are, God made to him are not revoked. They stand in effect. Just You can dispensationalize it all you want. 
But what I'm trying to tell you is the church has not replaced Israel. God's promises to Israel are still in effect. You've got to understand that. I mean, just like God's promise to Noah. You still in the Old Testament? Before the law? All the way back there with Noah? God made a covenant with Noah. Guess what? That covenant's still in effect. So you say, well, it's a different dispensation. That doesn't mean that old things that he set into play didn't all, that they all stopped. Thank God the law did. If you're saved, Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Ain't that a blessing? I'm glad of that. But that doesn't mean other things that he said didn't stop, stopped. They didn't stop. His promises to Israel did not stop. They're eternal promises. You've got to understand that. So what you're seeing right now is a setup for a time coming soon when the whole world turns against her. And you're out, right out there at the end of the tribulation period, more than likely by the time you get to chapter 16. God's about to come back. He's pouring out those last vials and he's got so much built up wrath that he's pouring out his wrath on the earth. And it's affecting the sun and it's affecting the water and it's affecting the men. It's hitting individuals. But there's individuals that are not getting hit necessarily that are still affected by the sun and the water, the ones that aren't necessarily getting hit by the, by the plague that I'll show you here in just a second. God's pouring out his wrath, the wrath of God that's been built up for a very long time. The superpower, the omnipotent almighty God has had it and he's pouring it out. That's why he tells you that you are not appointed unto Wrath. That ain't talking about eternity in hell. That's talking about when God pours out his wrath. You're his bride. You're out of here by then. So thank God for that. So in verse number one, these angels are pouring out their, the vials, right? And in verse number two, it says this, And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men. Notice who gets this noisome and grievous sore. Upon the men which had the mark of the beast... And upon them which worshipped his image. Alright, so if you have the mark of the beast at this time, you have a sore breaking out in your body that is connected directly to that mark. If you don't have the mark, you won't get the sore. This one's specific for them. We know we're at least past the halfway point of the tribulation period because the mark didn't show up till Revelation 13, which is halfway through the tribulation. So we know where we're at in Revelation 16. Go back with me real quick. I want you to see a couple of verses. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look at verse 27. Now you remember who James is written to, right? To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. That's a Jewish book. And James talks about faith without works is dead. You're never told that. You're told that your works have nothing to do with your faith. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. These people are told in the book of James, because it's a tribulation book doctrinally, so the Jews in the tribulation period, that if their works don't match their faith, their faith is dead. If they take the mark of the beast with faith while they have, quote, faith in Christ, guess what? You understand what I'm saying? God separates. You get that, right? God divides. You understand that, right? I think this whole movement you see in our culture nowadays of blending the world with the church is a setup for the tribulation period. It's a great way to deceive them, people, that, well, faith is all that matters. It doesn't really matter what I do. It's just my body. It's just a mark on my body. What's the big deal? I'll get the tattoo if he wants me to get it. Whatever. Well, not, not here. In James chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. All right? So you got no dad in the home. God said, take care of them. You're a real Christian, right? You're a real church. Well, you take care of the fatherless and the widows. You got a woman there that's husband passed away and she's got nobody to look to. God said, take care of her. That's pure religion. That's great practical application for you and me. You understand that? I don't throw away that part. I think God looks at fatherless and widows very differently than mankind looks at them. Now, thank God you live in a culture where they'll get some social security benefits and things like that, so it's not as much of a financial burden on us. But I'll tell you this much. If there's anybody that I feel like looking out for brings out the daddy in me or the, or the I'm your boy, I'm your boy, you know, grandma. That's my grandma. I'm her boy. I'm going to take care of her. I'm her son. If anything brings that out on me, it's a widow, an old lady that doesn't have anybody take care of her. 
Nothing, nothing breaks my heart more than that. I think that's real. I think it's real religion. A young man or a young lady that doesn't have a dad, some loser deadbeat, took off on him. Mom's doing the best she can. You got a lot of that in our culture. And mom's doing the best she can, and it's tough. It's rough on them. You got a, you got a strong woman trying to keep the kids in church and doesn't have a man there to, to set that example. That's tough on them. And boy, if there's anybody I want to help, it's that kind of people. Right? That's pure religion and undefiled. You know why? Sorry, I'll move on in a second. You know why? You help somebody that can't do anything back for you. What's some widow going to do for me? She ain't got no money. She needs help. <laughs> I'll help her. Why? Because the Lord wants me to. Because she needs help. I'm worried about keeping score. Amen. That's good preaching. Thank you. I appreciate it. Amen. I'm sick of watching churches pander to rich people. I, wa- I said it this morning. I don't think the Muslims and the Roman Catholics and the big old contemporary churches should get all the rich people. I think we should get some too. Amen. But I don't think just because they got money, I should know about it or treat them any different because they do. And if you got money and expect me to treat you different, something's wrong with you. I'm serious. Something's wrong with you. Why would you not? Why would anybody want a pastor to look at them different because they got, you know, a million dollars a year coming in? Wouldn't that bother you? Don't you want them to look at you like a human who needs help? So it's pure religion. You see that? And that's what that's what makes it so wonderful. Now watch this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself notice. Ain't that interesting? Unspotted. There's a spot associated with worldliness. Go to the book of Jude. Look at Jude, uh, verse 12. I finally didn't say chapter. Jude, verse 12. Well, back up for a second. Look at verse 11. It says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was of his father, the devil. And ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. See how Balaam messed up? He wanted, to, he wanted to reach the rich guys. He wanted the money. And that's where he messed up. And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Uh, so there's another way. These gainsayers, they thought Moses was taking too much on himself and they had the same rights that Moses had and they wanted to come and, you know, tell the preacher how to run the show kind of deal, you know. Well, we're, we're called to God too. And God didn't put him in that position. That's what it boils down to. It's not a defense of the man. It's the God didn't call them to that. They were trying to take something on themselves. God didn't give them. They were self-appointing. And it was an error. Now watch this in verse 12. These are spots. Ain't that interesting? In your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water. They're all show and no tell, you know. They're carried about a winds, trees whose fruit withereth. Watch this. Without fruit, twice dead. Well, what's the second death? Twice dead? Well, that's weird. Plucked up by the roots. Watch this. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Well, ain't that weird? So that's something supernatural. He's talking about men that come in, natural men that speak as brute beasts, and then there's spots in your feast, and there's something demonic going on that's happening, and he's warning them about keeping the faith in the book of Jude and saying don't fall to the error because there's something demonic happening, something going on that's actually some, some raging waves that are twice dead. There's some evil spirits working. And there's spots walking into the feast of charity among believers trying to pull people aside. This is going to be going on in the tribulation period. And just let me say right now, I think the closer we get to the coming of Jesus Christ, the more you're going to see a ramp up of demonic and supernaturally wicked activity going on in the world. You're seeing it already. And as you get into the tribulation period, it's going to take off. You remember when Jesus came the first time? Man, everywhere he went, man, he was casting out devils and this, that, and the other things going on. The devils are recognizing who he is. And when the demon act of Gadara comes to us, what do they say to him? Don't cast us out into the what? Sea, right? They didn't want to go out into the sea, into the deep. So then 
He casts them out. They go into the swine. They say, let's go into the herd of swine. What's the first thing they do when they enter into the herd of swine? You remember? They go choke themselves in the sea. When they said, don't cast us out into the deep, you know what they weren't talking about? They weren't talking about the sea because that's right where they ran. They weren't talking about the ocean on the earth. They were worried about being cast out in outer space, locked up out in the sea out there. And there's more I have to tell you later. I'm, I'm telling you right now, there's some wild stuff. Dead things are formed under the sea. There's something out there. That's why men are so obsessed with getting to outer space. There's stuff out there. They're dar it's darkness. They're foaming out their shame. That God doesn't want you out there. He put you down here and kind of kept you bound up so you'd seek after him. You don't need to get up there. He'll take you up there when he's ready. And you'll go the safe way and real fast. It's going to be pretty awesome. But you don't need to be messing around out there. There's spots coming into your Feast of Charity. And notice that spot is connected with a mark, the mark of the beast. So back in Revelation chapter 16, we're not going to run the other references for the sake of time. But back in the Old Testament, what would happen is they'd get spots in their skin. And it was leprosy. What would happen when they got the spot, it's very interesting. He'd say to shut, the priest, priest was to shut them up seven days. Ain't that weird? The number seven. You know what he's showing them back there in typology? It's a type of the tribulation period. And so what they've got, I'm almost positive about this, when God pours out his judgment, they got that mark of the beast, right? I think that mark of the beast is going to turn into leprosy. Because all through the Old Testament, that leprous mark would be in their skin. Guess where else it'd go into? It'd go into their clothing. Guess where else the leprosy could be found? It could be found in three different places. It'd be found in their skin. It'd be found in their clothing. Guess where else? The walls of their house. Ain't that weird? You know what leprosy is in the Old Testament? It's a type of sin. When somebody had leprosy, it'd be like having COVID or something nowadays, or just even a cough, you know. You walk around like this in public. And they'd have to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And people on the street could get away from them because they knew they were a leper. As a mark of sinfulness. Um, God starts judging them. He pours out this plague in verse number two. And they start getting some kind of a noisome and grievous sore upon the men. It's a mark of leprosy. Now, Dr. Ruckman taught this. And, and I remember uh, Brother Lynch taught it. And I've heard a couple more people say the same thing. And they've all taught it, not dogmatically, okay? But as a strong possibility. So hear what I said because I will, I'll point the same thing out to you as a strong possibility. You remember naming the leopard? Leopard. <laughs> naming the leper? What did he have to do in order to get cleansed of his leprosy? He had to go down into Jordan. Same place where Jesus was baptized. Same place where John baptized the baptism of repentance to who? To Israel. Same place in Acts 2.38, Israel is baptized, baptized with the baptism of repentance, repenting for what they'd done to their Savior. There's a possibility. Remember Naaman? How many times did he dip? Seven. Seven shows up again connected to leprosy, which is a spot in the skin, which is also connected to, uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, the leprosy in the Old Testament where they were shut up seven days. Then a Gentile shows up, Naaman, the leper, goes down into Israel, gets baptized in the River Jordan, dips seven times. Seven there, seven in the Old Testament where they're shut up, all connected to sin and the judgment of God on sin. And it's a spot in the body and it's noisome and it's grievous. Possible. Not dogmatic. Possible that if people in the tribulation period take the mark of the beast, God's right there toward the end. He's pouring out his judgment, and that mark starts popping up a grievesome sore. Big old leprous spot in their forehead, or big old leprous spot in their hand. And that thing's just driving them crazy, but it's just eating itself away, eating away their skin. They're just, they're, they're rotting as they're standing there. And they go, man, I messed up. Possible they can get down in there and get baptized, calling on the name of Jesus Christ, faith in him and works, and get that baptism in Acts 2.38 and John's baptism to Israel for repentance and get that thing washed off and have some forgiveness. Possible. Not, not saying dogmatically, but it looks like there's a picture there. 
Saying this on purpose, because if somehow or another stuff makes it through, the Lord calls us out next week or so, and somebody's looking for some truth and goes through on the internet and finds that, uh, who knows, maybe somebody will go get dunked. Maybe they'll find some of this material that's been printed that's out there and read some of that stuff, and somebody will be over there. Stuff's gotten all over the world. You know that, don't you? Shows up in the oddest places. You don't think God could pop some of that up over in Israel in the tribulation period and have somebody out there preaching that stuff and showing them? Oh, you don't think those angels might be preaching these flying in heaven or the 444,000 telling them that stuff and making it clear to them and running the references for them in the Bible? Just a possibility. Don't shut your mind off because you never heard it before. And no, I didn't dream it up. <laughs> All right, I was taught it. And I was taught it the way I'm teaching you as a possibility. All right, so you got to watch out for that spot. Notice something else about that thing, though, and then we'll move on. When Job was allowed of, when, when God allowed the devil to attack Job, what did he give him all over his body? Boils, right? A grievesome sore. And he's sitting there scraping his body. You know what it looked like to everybody else looking at him, and it looked like even to him? You messed up, man. You sinned. That's the judgment of God on sin. You're a leper. You're a sinner. You know what that represents? False conviction. You know why I try so hard, I try so hard to preach the Bible, not my opinions. I try so hard. If you watch when I preach, if you pay attention, we're teaching tonight. That should be obvious. But when I'm even preaching, if you watch, I take my passages from my, my points from the text and I make application. And I show you other passages to clarify. I try to preach the Bible. You know why? Somebody can get up in a church service and really feel what they're saying. You understand that? You guys realize I feel what I'm saying, right? I, I'm an emotional guy. You don't think I am, but I, I am. I'm a very emotional individual. I, I try very hard to always control my emotions. I don't believe in letting them control me. I, I can't. To me, that just feels weak. You know what I mean? And, and it's okay if you're a girl. I, mean, I think it's great if you're a girl to be sweet and, and go with your emotions. That's okay. But as a man, I don't want to go with my emotions. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I, I try not to, but I'm very emotional. So you can get up and be very emotional. You can get in somewhere where a guy's super charismatic and, and he just presents it really well. And it all sounds very wise because the devil is the master of wisdom. But it's worldly wisdom, which is earthly, sensual, and devilish. It's not wisdom which is from above. So I want to make sure that you're not feeling a false conviction. Because if you get caught up in the moment in some kind of a great speech, you could be talking about anything. You know, if somebody's a genius salesman, he could sell you a bunch of Tupperware containers for a ridiculous price. And you think, man, you got a great deal and you just had to have those. You can't live without them. You understand what I'm talking about? I want to give you this. Because I want you to know the conviction you're getting comes from the book, not some false conviction from the devil. You got enough on your shoulders as it is, and your heart condemns you when you really want to serve God enough. I want to take a burden off of you, not put one on you. But if you ain't right with God, I want to whoop you a little bit. Amen? I want to get it on. I want God to get on you. I want him to show you why. So you won't train wreck your life. So you'll straighten up. So I try to make sure we're not giving you false conviction. I want to give you the real thing. And here they're getting the real thing, boy. Now, verse number three, it says, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. Man, can you imagine that? Folks, look at that scene in your mind. You, you go to get in the shower in the morning, and you turn on the shower, and blood comes out. At the blood of a dead man, thick coagulated blood, dark colored blood. You go to wash the dishes, man, and what's coming out is blood. You go outside and the rivers are full of blood. That's a, that's, a, that's a judgment of God. That's a frightening thing. Why is God doing that to him? Look at verse 5. I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and what's, wast and shall be. Because thou hast judged thus. Why did God do this? So that the angel is saying, God, you're right. You're doing the right thing to them. Man, folks, you realize how long you can make it without water? Not long. You need to drink your water. You hear me? Drink water. I don't care if you like water or not. Drink it. It'll kill you if you don't drink it. And if you get used to not drinking enough water long enough, you won't even know you're dehydrated can put you in the hospital. 
And the more coffee you drink, the more water you have to drink. Because coffee is a diuretic. And the more pop you drink, the more water you got to drink. The diuretic. Drink your water. My grandma lived on coffee and Pepsi. No joke, I'm serious. She wouldn't drink water. It was coffee and Pepsi. Oh, excuse me, orange juice. A couple orange juice in the morning for her vitamin C. She died young. She had a genetic disposition to cancer. She got it young and got it a few times in her life. But man, if you can, if you can hold it off a little bit, we'd like to keep you sticking around a little while. Be smart, amen? See how much water I drink? I drink too much water. You can't drink too much too, do you know that? Okay, I, I didn't know that. I, I was in a rush one day going to jiu-jitsu, and I run into the store, and I grab water. I wasn't even paying attention. I ran, ran and jumped in the car, and I ran. I was always late. You know, it was a joke. I, after I passed my blue belt, I was always late. It's like, oh, you know, Reagan's a purple belt. He's always late all the time. And I walk in, and I got my, my, uh, my water jug with me, and my coach just come up and ripped my face off. I'm like, well, he's like, you're going to kill yourself. What are you doing? He points at that. I'm like, I looked at it. It was distilled. <laughs> he's like, you can't, you can't drink that. You're going to die. Like, stuff flushes you out. That's not good either. So get your good. Anyways, all right, get back in text here. So you got to have water. Do you imagine how miserable you would be if there wasn't any good water? Because something supernatural is happening and turning it all to blood. And the angel says, God, you're righteous. Because for so long, See, you thought I was just rambling on chasing rabbits in the introduction, didn't you? For so long, those people have been shedding blood of people that love you. They shed the blood of your son, and you've been taking it. How many of you love your family? Gentlemen, you all should be like, amen, right? You, they ain't perfect, are they? Right? No. I'll tell you this much. They're mine. I love them. I, I, I don't know how I'd sit back and watch somebody do them wrong, murder them for no good reason, and not just absolutely let loose. Right? And if I did sit back because I was working something bigger than everything else and anybody could possibly imagine and let it go and waited and said, all right, I'm giving you a chance to get it right, but if you don't, when I pull the trigger, it's on. Could you imagine that? And folks, you do not want to be here in the Great Tribulation. If you ain't saved, get saved. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying if you ain't saved, you stupid. It just That is a stupid thing to not trust Jesus. It's as simple as trusting Christ as your Savior right now. I got to wait for the altar call, this, that, and the other thing. I don't care if somebody's listening to this five weeks from now or a year from now. I mean, while you're driving in your car, Lord, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and save my soul. I don't want to go to hell. It's like that simple. And all that wrath gets pulled off you. And it was put on Jesus Christ. It's a done deal. Can you imagine these people? Look at verse 6. For they shed the blood of saints and prophets, and I was given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Now, this is a weird thing. Go, go back with me, if you would, please, to Genesis chapter 9. They've been shedding blood all this time. They love to spill the blood of God's people. And I'm talking about saints. But even over there in Israel, they love to shed the blood of God's people. Uh, because they're God's chosen people, even though they've rejected him, he hasn't rejected his choice. That nation and that land is still his. So... That's a very serious thing to God. And they'll kill anything associated with God, even though they don't understand what the problem is. It's a spirit. Genesis chapter 9, look at verse 4. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. You say, oh, preacher, that's Old Testament. Actually, we're in Genesis chapter 9. The law hasn't even showed up yet. Before the law, God said, no blood. So when I go to the restaurant, I say, you know, I like a medium. I don't like a medium well. I like a medium. I joke around about a moon and all that stuff, but I say, no blood. What's your medium? I say, what's your medium? They say, a hot pink center. I'm like, okay. You say, really? Really? I don't think God, I, don't, I honestly don't think it's good for you. I think God knows something about blood that 
you and I may not know, and I'm sure there's medical research out there. I've never taken the time to look into it. I've studied so much of this stuff over the years. I'm trying to forget some of that stuff now and study my Bible more, honestly. I'm trying to ramp up my Bible studying, and, and God's been good to me on it. It's getting more interesting to me. I'm sure there's studies out there. I, I don't think, I just go out on a limb just because God said it. I think God's taking care of people that he loves and saying, stay away from the blood. I think there's symbolism there, 100%. I think there's something, definitely something spiritual there. Because God says the, the blood is the life of the flesh. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and the flesh is sinful and corrupt. And his son was coming to shed his blood, right? So there's... I'll get to it in a second. There's something unquestionably spiritual associated with it. Now, I am not saying that if you had a raw steak that you need to go get the demons cast out of you. Relax, okay? Please, relax. It's okay. I have lots of friends that eat it raw. I don't, I, I, whatever. Not, not like raw, raw, but rare, you know, all that kind of thing. I'm not saying it's a sin to eat it rare. I'm just saying because of these passages, when I come to them, I kind of like, yeah, let's make sure it's medium. I just stay away from blood. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? Please don't overreact. Breathe in your nose. How's your mouth? The Lord understands, and there's not some supernatural demon entering you because there was a little bit of blood in your meat. Okay? God said don't. I'm almost 100% sure it's bad for you. Okay? Now, go to, go to another passage. Go over to Leviticus chapter 17. i got to be careful. I, I don't want the devil to get in some of your heads a little bit. I do have to show you this stuff. It's in the Bible. But I also don't want you to overreact. You know God's greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. You know that if you're saved, you're sealed under the day of redemption. You realize the Lord's got you. Even if you did something stupid back in the day, even if back in the day, you know, you got around the wrong crowd and they're playing with Ouija boards. Kids, you stay away from anybody playing with Ouija boards. You stay over somebody's house and they pull out a Ouija board. You call your mom and dad. You say, come get me. You understand? You get out of there. Tarot cards. You get out of there. Palm readers. You get out of there. Dungeons and dragons. You get out of there. Mom and dad, if that makes you mad, I'm going to wake me up. You're an idiot. <laughs> wake them up. Call them. No, I'm, I'm good. Some of the darkest times in my life, darkest times in my life spiritually, full of bitterness, full of anger, rebellious as I could possibly be, and good reason to be rebellious. Strange, strangest thing in the world, man. The devil put people across my path. A guy said to me one time, he said, hey, man, what you doing tonight? I said, nothing much. You want to come over? Some of me and some of my buddies are playing Dungeons and Dragons. I said, what's that? He said, oh, man, just come over. Hang out with us. It's, it's all good. We'll show you. Something about it won't write. I was like, I, I can still see his face in my mind. Only time I've ever seen in my life. I said, no, nah, I'm good. I walked out of there, man. I felt stinking chills, boy. Just, and he had all that cult stuff on him, too, you know, so it's a little bit of a tip for you. What do you, what do you like? What, you, know, you know, the peace sign? Upside down, broken cross. You know there's no such thing as white magic? That's a lie, folks. That's a lie. You better, you better understand some of that stuff enough to get away from it. Don't go looking it up on the internet. You don't need to educate on it. We're doing it from a Bible tonight in church. That's all you need. And sometimes all you need is spidey senses. I just don't feel right. Dad, I don't, I don't, something ain't right. Okay, come, I'll come get you. No problem. But you listen to that. It's called a conscience. It's called the Holy Spirit of God sometimes. just telling you something. And all you need to know is just get out of there. All right, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I'll even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. Look at verse 12. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. Look at verse 14. For it is the life of all flesh, and the blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not eat the blood of no manner of flesh. Ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is in the blood. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. So God said, When they eat of it, now he's not telling you you lost your salvation if you had a raw steak. Or if you're around the wrong crowd at some point in your life and you drank some blood. He's saying, if you got people around you, Israelites, that are doing this, kick them out. 
Don't associate with them. Get away from them. Go to Acts 15. You say, well, that's under the law, preacher. Okay, great. Acts 15. So I showed you one in Genesis 9 before the law. I showed you one in Leviticus, uh, what was that, Leviticus 17, under the law. Now we're in Acts chapter 15. You know, by the time they get here, they got their doctrine pretty well hammered out. We won't turn there, but he repeats it again in Acts 21. So by the time you get down to the book of Acts, you're firmly in good, uh, good uh, uh, solid doctrine. Things are hashed out. Here's where the disciples meet together and are hashing things out. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 20, he says, But we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. So the Roman Catholic Church says, Well, it's just an aid to worship. Well, they're bound down to an idol. No, it's an aid to worship. It's an idol. You're praying to an idol. Well, we're praying to God. It just aids us in worship. God said, abstain from pollutions of idols. Abstain from it. Get away from it. So why would you need idols as an aid to worship? That's a lie. They're praying to an idol. Number one. Number two, and from fornication. Number three, from things strangled. Why? It wasn't bled out. And from, anybody know a church where they actually drink blood? Don't they say that they're drinking that cup, that that cup's been turned, to, it's, it's the blood of Jesus Christ, and they're teaching you to drink it? Now what kind of strange stuff is going on when a church is telling people to drink blood, but all the way through the Bible, when they drink blood, they're in trouble. They're told not to drink blood. Ain't that weird? So you better be careful about drinking blood. Now go back to Revelation chapter 16 and, and, and let me just give you a couple things here. You go over to Mexico where they're staunchly Roman Catholic, right? You know the water over there is unbelievably horrible. It's called black water. You know they got inland lakes. They don't swim in them. You guys go swimming in the lakes? They won't jump in the lakes over there. They're so filthy, dirty, you don't even want to put your hand in the water. You can't drink the water if you go over there. You can't drink it because you'll get violently ill, man. We forgot, and we, you know, we've done real good the whole time we were there, not drinking the water, drinking bottled water and all this stuff. They got, that's kind of normal because they'll have different, oh, whatever, microscopic junk in there that their system's used to, but yours isn't, you know? And so you go there, and you drink the water, and you get violently ill, and they're drinking it, and they're fine, right? And I'm talking sick, man. Well, we were out on the street right before we left, and they were selling these things at one of these little stands, and it's got all these little fruit roll-up gummy things in the bottom, and it's a, it's, a, it's a water beverage. It's super good, and you're drinking it, and it's all kind of fruity tasting. And then when you get to the bottom, you kind of pour those little gummy things out, and you chew them and eat them. And, you know, so we all got one. Oh, this is so good. It's so good. We forgot it was the regular water. Man, we got so sick. It was so bad. That was the worst flight home ever. But, but that's a little bit different. Anyways, that was for free. It's funny to me, it's funny to me, how you got a Catholic nation like that, that is all about idolatry, all about drinking blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And the water that's there seems to be judged by God. I've been to Haiti more than once. Haiti is a nation, their national religion like we're supposed to be or used to be a Christian nation, right? You know what Haiti is? That's a satanic nation. They're, they're a nation all about voodoo. Right before we went the one time, the president had rededicated the nation to Satan. He was up on the, on the rooftop of where he stays, and what they were saying, they were telling us, take it or leave it, that that day when he was praying and rededicating the nation to Satan, they saw a huge like serpent-looking thing moving through the sky. The people all saw it. And that's what all the locals on the, on the ground, the people you talk to, the, the boots on the ground, just normal Joe said, they saw a serpent moving through the sky that day when he rededicated that nation to Satan. It's voodoo. Nation wholly given to it. You know what they do? They drink blood. They, they, have, they have blood soup. Now, when I, when I go and travel on, on, uh, on uh, mission trips, one of the things I like to do is eat the crazy stuff. I like to find out, like, what's the craziest thing you guys do? And I tried. I've had the intestines, eyeballs. 
uh, crickets, literally. I remember I took one, they, they fry these, uh, uh, yeah, they're like crickets or grasshoppers or something. I mean, John the Baptist ate them, you know, it's all good. And, but they're black, and they're like fried, whole, legs and everything on them. And, and so I, I bought some in the little market, and then I remember I FaceTime Anna. She was little back then, and I, I popped one in my mouth and chewed it, and it just black goo just popped and oozed all over my mouth. It's black. And I said, Anna, give Daddy kisses. Like that, and all this black stuff in my mouth, you know. And I think it's, you know, pretty novel to go there and eat some of the crazy stuff, right? You know what I wouldn't do when I went to Haiti? I ain't, I ain't having no blood soup. They got goat's head soup, the head of the goat, the head with the hair floating in the soup. Nation given over to Lucifer. You say all that stuff ain't real. Oh, it's real. And we found a little girl who right across the street, I told you this before, the, the missionaries here, just kind of like over and up just a little bit. There's a little girl who lived right up the road there with her aunt. And her aunt was a witch. Potions in the whole nine yards. And that little girl was 13 years old. She come into our service. The missionary told me, she see that little girl over there? She's a born-again Christian. Her aunt's a witch. She's going to get in trouble for coming. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, she's going to get in big trouble for coming. Her aunt's threatened to kill her more than once over it. We went out the next morning, walking down the street. She's sitting out in the street, rocking back and forth, ah, ah, holding her stomach like that. When she got home that night, her aunt put some stuff, some bitter whatever stuff in her food without telling her. And poisoned her. She had really major stomach problems, stomach cramps, and all that stuff, because it was her punishment for going to church. You know what that little girl did the next night? She walked back into church and sat down in church, smiling, singing the songs, holding the Bible. You know what that little girl knew? She knew when she get home, she was going to get more of the same. And we can't make it to church. Why? What was your, I forgot your reason. I needed to hear your excuses. Ain't that something else, man? It's talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Talking about something being connected here with blood. It's no coincidence that all that stuff focuses on directly disobeying something God specifically said before the law, under the law, and after the law. He said no blood. And when they go into full-on rebellion against God and into worshiping Satan, one of the things they do is drink blood. Now, y'all, that turns your stomach, and I've given you enough. I, I know more, and I don't even need to get into it all. Enough's enough for tonight. I've given you enough to get you to understand something. Something is wrong with a religion that tells people, when you drink this, you're partaking of the blood of Jesus Christ. Transubstantiation, it's turned from wine into the literal blood of Jesus. Now, where in the Bible would you find God telling you to drink his blood? That's voodoo. That ain't biblical Christianity. That ain't Jesus Christ. That is not the Holy Spirit of God. Ain't that a wild thought? I'll give you this last thing because it ain't too detailed or graphic. There was a certain celebration going on over there in, in Haiti. It was a week-long voodoo thing. Every day they had stuff going on. I mean, at night, man, when the sun went down, the place was black as pitch. I mean, it was so dark. There, there was little to no electricity, and the, the Port-au-Prince was so big, they'd rotate the electricity. They'd turn it on this section for a little while and turn it off and because they didn't have enough for everybody. So they'd turn it on and off. And, man, you go out at night, and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You had to have a flashlight, just pitch black everywhere. And, man, you could hear all the noise, man. People were, you're almost running into people not even seeing them. Scary as it could possibly be. And you walk by and you see through the gates, the gates open up and they'd be fires going on in there and people doing their, their witchcraft stuff and all that. And just a wild, 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 dangerous. It has to be a lot like the days of Noah, marrying, giving in marriage, blood covering the land, violence everywhere, crimes perpetrated like you would not believe with nobody paying for them. Just a, a completely wild thing. I, I would not take my kids there. I don't even have any intentions on going back, to be honest with you. And we're walking through there, and uh, wild thing to see all that going on. Well, well, after night after night after night, they're doing this. Do you know what the culmination of their week-long voodoo, I think it was a week, it might have been two weeks, but after the culmination of this long worship service that they're having, this voodoo stuff, you know how that thing ended? It ended on Sunday morning in the Roman Catholic Church. 
you crazy preacher. You ain't never been out of your little American bubble. The Roman Catholic priest sanctifying them and blessing their little voodoo service, the culmination of that thing was the priest blessing them on Sunday morning in the Roman Catholic Church and giving them the Eucharist, receiving Christ. I heard recently from a credible source that in a similar country, that there's, there's evangelists in the Pentecostal churches casting out devils and preaching messages who are practicing priests in witchcraft. World Council of Churches, one world government. We all need to come together. It's all the same. We're all trying to get to the same place. We all got the same God. You better make sure the God you're serving is the God of the Bible. You better make sure you're building your faith on that book from the truth of the scriptures. God divides. He doesn't bring them together. And ain't a God, the God of the Bible would never, ever, ever tell you to violate clear passages of scriptures before the law, under the law, and after the law in drinking blood in his worship service. And that's the way to receive his son. Now, come on. It, am I over teaching it here? It ain't rocket science, is it? You already got it, don't you? Clear as day. But that's the way the Antichrist is going to work. He's going to mingle them all together and bring unity. One world. Equality to all. It's all the same. All right, let's, let's get back here and wrap this thing up. So they're told them that, that, that now as a result of what they've done with blood, and we'll see it in Revelation 17, I'm setting you up for that. That woman drunken with the blood of the saints is, is Babylon. It's the Roman Catholic Church. She's got her hands in everything. Now, back here, God gives them blood to drink because they're worthy. And he says, I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. So why is that important? Well, because don't you remember the souls under the altar in Revelation 6, 9 through 11? You know what they're saying? How long, Lord? Because they were sitting there under the, the treatment they're getting and God wasn't doing nothing about it. Now in Revelation 16, they're saying, we get it, God. You, you're right. True and righteous are thy judgments. We see your plan all along, and we glorify your name. You're right. It's wonderful what you were doing. I'm glad I stuck it out and waited. You will be too in your life if you stick it out, even when it don't make sense. All right, look at verse 4. We'll get through these last ones in just a minute or two. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. All right? Verse 9, the men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which had power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory. So the whole thing about the sun, well, the sun's magnified. I mean, what did they do when they cast the, the um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? The heat of the furnace, what? Seven times hotter. How many times? Seven years of tribulation. He heated it seven times hotter. That's, that's if the first three and a half were already passed. It don't matter. Or if all seven are coming. It doesn't really matter. The, the number's there for a reason in your Bible. You know what God's going to do with the sun in the tribulation period? He's going to heat it up. You know what it's called? It's called global warming. You know what they're doing? You know what's going on, the spirit going on in this world? They're getting out ahead of God. That's what they're trying to do. Satan knows the Bible. You know, he's brainwashing all these kids. We're destroying the planet. So in a tribulation period, when it's happening, like on another level, it's, all, it's let loose, man. Oh, we've always, they've been saying it's coming. They've been saying it's coming. They'll believe their preachers and their college uh, uh, professors in the classroom more than they'll believe a Bible. And they'll say, oh, we did it to ourselves. Oh, Mother Nature's mad at us. Oh, they've been telling us it's coming. Well, so don't, don't be stupid when they say, oh, global warming's real. Oh, no, it's not. Sure it is. Remember when you were kids, you guys? You guys remember the amount of snow we used to get? When, when's the last time we had the snow we got back in the 90s or 80s or 70s? Anybody? When's the last time that's happened? I'm just saying, I'm not, no, I am no scientist. I don't, you know, I'm not going to even argue the thing. I'm just telling you what's going to happen in the tribulation period and what I think is going on right now, I think the devil's prepping them so that they won't believe the truth no matter what. 
I'm going to show you in a second the answer. Verse 10. Excuse me. <coughs> the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. And, upon, and his kingdom was full of darkness. Remember what happened in the, in the Exodus? God's pouring out the plagues. Thick darkness. Remember that? And they gnawed their tongues for pain. And what was their response? And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. You know what that tells you? They knew who was doing it. Because they blasphemed God for it. Go to Luke 16 and we'll finish up here. Luke 16, look at verse, uh, start in verse 27. You guys know this story, right? So I don't need to read it all to you. There's the rich man and Lazarus, right? The rich man died and is buried and then he winds up in hell. Lazarus dies and is buried and he winds up in Abraham's bosom. So in the Old Testament, they did not go to heaven. They went to the center of the earth, even if they were saved. And they waited in Abraham's bosom for Christ to be crucified. That's where they were at. More than likely, uh, the Gentiles went to paradise, which was probably down there right next to Abraham's bosom. And the Jews went into Abraham's bosom. But when God locked up paradise, the Garden of Eden disappeared. Remember that? He put it down there. So those Old Testament Gentiles are going down to paradise. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Oh, Okay, so you got Abraham's bosom down there, and that's the Old Testament Jewish saints, and more than likely paradise down there, and that's the New Testament Jewish, uh, New Testament Old Testament Gentile saints. Um, uh, Paul said he got caught up where into paradise when Christ died. It he took it up, and so what you had is you had Abraham's bosom down there in hell. Uh, <laughs> you had uh, Lazarus down there in Abraham's bosom. You had the rich man down there in hell. And the rich man's in torments, right? And he's wanting some help. And so if you come to verse 27, he's talking to Father Abraham, and there's a great gulf fixed between them. Then said he, since he can't come over and dip his finger in water and cool his tongue, he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. All right, if you can't dip your finger in water and cool my tongue, then please send somebody back from the dead to go tell my five brothers because I don't want them to come here. And if somebody knocks on their door from the grave, I mean, somebody shows up and says, listen, I'm back from the dead, they will believe a miracle like that. I mean, like the sun getting scorched. I mean, burning them up. Like crazy things happening in the heavens. Angels flying and preaching. Like, like waters turn into blood. Rivers turn into blood. I mean, wild miracles like that. When people see that, man, they'll get right with God. That'll scare them to death. I'm talking about beasts coming up out of hell, flying around, stinging people. Oh, man, when they see that, they'll get right. Look at the answer. Verse 29. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets... You know what that is? That's the Old Testament Bible. Let them hear them. Moses had been dead a long time. The prophets had been dead a long time. How did they have Moses and prophets? Same way you got apostles and prophets. Humans standing here in this day and age are pastors and teachers and evangelists. Apostles and prophets are right here. Well, they had Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets have been dead a long time. So they had the Bible. He said, let them hear them. He said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they'll repent. Show a miracle. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. Do you guys see why the most important thing we can do is give people the Bible. 
while the most important thing you can do is get in church and hear what God has to say, love your Bible, study your Bible, obey your Bible, hear what God's saying to you from the Bible, and build what you believe, what you think, how you operate off of the Word of God. Because it's more important than any kind of a miracle or sign or anything else. When people won't listen to preaching, there is nothing that will reach them. Nothing. Even miracles going on in the tribulation period, they'll shake their fist in the face of God and curse his name for the, for, the, for the plagues he's pouring out on them because they won't listen to the word of God. Keep your heart tender towards your Bible. Stay in that book because I'm telling you, that right there determines the direction and the future you go into. God, no matter what God does for you, it won't matter if you're not sensitive to that book. All right, we'll stop there for tonight, pick it up next week. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed.